Welcome to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast, bringing all things health and wellness to the Tampa Bay community. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Reller, board certified family and obesity medicine physician. Please remember, while I am a doctor, I may not be your doctor. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not medical advice. Please seek out your physician for your specific needs. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast. This is your host, Dr. Carrie Reller. And today we have another special guest, Dr. Rinku Mira. Dr. Mira, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yes. So I'm Dr. Mira. I'm a pediatric endocrinologist. I see patients age zero to 21 with all kinds of hormone issues, the most common being type 1 and type 2 diabetes. But I see a lot of other medical conditions as well that are related to diabetes such as polycystic ovarian syndrome and weight conditions. I'm currently practicing in person. I have in-person office visits in Virginia, but I have telemedicine appointments available in Florida and in Iowa and Maryland. And so I treat a lot of patients with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes via telemedicine. I've been practicing since 2008, since my fellowship. And my focus has been to prevent diabetes in children and also treat diabetes to have kids live their healthiest lives possible. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Well, I love the last thing you said, especially because I think that's what we wanted to talk about today. I know recently we talked about more on the type one diabetes in kids. And today I really wanted to discuss with you more about type two diabetes in kids and prevention of it. So can you describe to us basically why type two is presenting in kids and why that's abnormal? Yeah. So type two diabetes is a condition that uh, kids get usually when their blood sugars are elevated. Okay. And so blood sugar that gets elevated in the bloodstream can lead to serious long-term consequences. And that's why I care about it. The reason that we're seeing type 2 diabetes more prevalent in kids is multifactorial. So we see kids who are gaining weight and gaining weight rapidly. And sometimes that's leading them to develop type 2 diabetes because their body can't handle the extra carbohydrate or sugar load. The other reason that we're seeing diabetes in children is because oftentimes there's a family history of somebody else in the family with type 2 diabetes. And I know you talked about type 1 diabetes in the past, but Type 1 diabetes, usually there's no family history. Nobody else has a genetic cause of diabetes. But in type 2 diabetes, it's actually the opposite. Patients with type 2 diabetes often have multiple family members who have type 2 diabetes. It used to be called adult onset diabetes because we weren't really seeing it in kids. And we were seeing it in older adults, usually who were not active, who were gaining weight, and they ended up either needing insulin or medication. And sometimes it could be diet controlled. But over the last 15 years, we've been seeing more and more young children, 8 to 10 range sometimes, who are developing type 2 diabetes. Usually it's over age 10, but I have recently seen patients as young as 8 developing diabetes. And a lot of times it's a combination of their family history, they have somebody in the family with diabetes, and also they've gained weight or gained weight rapidly, and that has led to their body not being able to process that sugar. And that's the reason that we're seeing it more often. Yeah, absolutely. So the genetics, obviously, and the environment as well. Would you say that when they have the genetic tendency and they're in the same environment as the family member that may have diabetes, that that also is part of the big risk factor for it? Yes, absolutely. So we're in the same environment and then we have genetic risk factors. 
And so that combination leads to development of type 2 diabetes. The symptoms of it are, you know, type 2 diabetes are not quite as noticeable as the symptoms of type 1 diabetes. So whereas in type 1 diabetes, you kind of see a rapid onset of these symptoms, drinking a lot, peeing a lot, losing weight, sometimes having difficulty breathing or breathing faster. You don't really see it as often in type 2 diabetes. It usually builds up kind of gradually. The symptoms can be similar, drinking a lot, peeing a lot, being hungry, but sometimes it takes some time, maybe a few months to pick that up. And so sometimes it's missed. Um, The other part of type 2 diabetes, which is different from type 1, is that sometimes kids can get what's called acanthosis, nigrocan, Mm -hmm. so like a darkening of the skin on the back of their neck or under their armpits. And that can be a sign that they have too much insulin. Their own body's insulin is working way too hard to process the sugar that they're eating. So we see that, and we see that a lot of times in young kids. The other piece of that is there are certain ethnicities that are at higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. So South Asian population, like myself, higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. African-American population is a higher risk of developing type, type 2 diabetes. My patients who have been from Mexico also have a higher risk of having type 2 diabetes. Oftentimes it's more present. And then Native American population also has a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. But we are seeing it in all ethnicities across all the U.S. and really all over the world. We're seeing type 2 diabetes and we're seeing it increase in prevalence in young children. Mm -hmm. I want to make a point about, I think, the physical signs that you mentioned, like the acanthosis or the darkening skin behind the neck or in the armpits. Like on the last one, when we were talking more about type 1, we didn't mention these kind of things. So they're not, you know, present usually with type 1 diabetes, correct? Right. 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 Yeah, Yeah. that's right. And, you know, the kids can also get frequent infections. So sometimes they have wounds that don't heal or they can have yeast infections for girls. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that we see that chronic and recurring. And you can see that in type one too, but usually type one is picked up a little bit faster because their symptoms are more rapid and onset. Right. I mean, is there also maybe the body habitus component that may have the yeast infection be more likely in a type two as well? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So they may have more body fat in that region. And so that Mm -hmm. can contribute to more likely having yeast infections or other infections in their groin, also that area. Okay. So obviously we're talking about the diabetes is happening earlier in kids. And Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely been like a, not just in the U S but what things do you think are contributing to that other than the genetics and the tendencies that you've already mentioned? Are there any specific things? Yeah. So what is clear to us is that children and adults with type 2 diabetes just can't process sugar or glucose well, okay? Mm -hmm. Most sugar that we have that comes into the body comes from food. So when food is digested, your sugar goes into the bloodstream and insulin is like the key and it allows the sugar to enter the cells and lowers the blood sugar. Insulin is made by the pancreas. And when you eat, the pancreas will spit out insulin. And and by the same token, when blood sugar starts to drop, the insulin production is decreased by the pancreas, right? So you eat food, your pancreas starts making more insulin. When your child has type 2 diabetes, that process doesn't work well. So instead of you know being able to spit out enough insulin, your body's just been seeing too much sugar. And if it keeps seeing all that glucose, your insulin levels cannot keep up with the amount of sugar that is coming into your bloodstream and the sugar builds up in the bloodstream. 
and you develop diabetes. And so really it's due to the fact that the pancreas can't make enough insulin or your cells become resistant to the insulin because you have so much insulin, it just doesn't work as well. And so your sugar doesn't go into your cells. Right. So you got all this extra sugar that is going other locations and it can't get in the cell because of what we call insulin resistance. So basically the cells aren't listening and bringing that sugar into the cell. Yeah. Right. And so the other piece of it is that physical activity also helps Mm -hmm. to move that, you know, sugar and use that sugar for energy. And so that also helps to decrease that insulin resistance. So physical activity has actually been shown to help prevent the development of diabetes. And so that's really important also with regards to prevention and treatment. Right, right. Yeah. So what are some ways that you like to talk about with your patients for treatment then? If you want to discuss that yet already. Yeah. So we sort of look at, you know, treatment as a multifactorial approach. First of all, we want to see what's going on in the family. And is there somebody else who has diabetes? And when did that happen? You know, diabetes also doesn't happen alone. Okay. So you don't just have diabetes and that's it. You can have diabetes. In addition, the insulin resistance can lead to other things, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, larger waist size. In girls, it can lead to irregular periods because they can have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so there's a lot of things that we need to address to see, are any of those other conditions present? And then we really do a deep dive into their diet and food choices. And interestingly, I have been practicing the last 15 years in the DC metro area. And I hear all the time from people how they're very busy with regards to eating and very busy with kids' school activities and their sports activities and trying to find ways. And so even though they're active, the food choices sometimes are fast food or things that we sort of pick up. And it's actually really hard to find foods that are healthy sometimes, right? On the go. And so we really do a deep dive to say, what food are we eating? What's available? I recently did like an Instagram post on like foods that are healthy and foods that we think that are healthy and they're not healthy. And so there's a lot of added sugar in foods that we really think are healthy, right? So yogurts or granola bars. And and so we really, really focus on that to see what food are we eating and what can we change? And in kids, it's challenging sometimes because we have kids who are picky about the food that they eat or they don't certain foods or they're at birthday parties and at birthday parties, we always have cakes and cookies that are served and, and you go through the food aisles and at the grocery store, and there's just so much food that's available and it's hard to sift out what's healthy and what's not healthy. And so I think that's really important to talk to your doctor or nutritionist about what is it that you're eating and how much of it can you have? And it's not to say that you can never have it, but there needs to be some education about what the right portions are for kids. And that's what I found. I found that oftentimes people don't know and they don't, you know, even as a mother myself, I was never trained on how much food I should feed my kids, right? Each meal, I always thought like they're not eating enough or maybe they're eating too much. So I think that's super important to look at the diet. Exercise, I think is also important. So, you know, what level of activity they're doing and then really looking at, you know, what their long-term risks are and how we can reduce their risk of diabetes and what we can do. There are certain medications we can try there's comprehensive nutrition counseling and education that we can provide. And your practice also provides some of these services. But, you know, we as pediatricians have been doing this for years. And I think 
putting more of a focus on some of these food choices, I think is really important. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I mean, yes, I deal with more with adults, but I know we are both obesity medicine certified and have a lot of extra training in this. But I mean, one of the things I like to tell patients is that it is super hard to eat healthy in the environment in which we live. Like you may think, like you said, like some things are healthy, but then you really take a closer look and read the food labels and you are astonished by what could be in the products that you are choosing, right? So I, it's hard to, you have to go out of your way to be healthy is kind of how I like right. to let them know it's not anybody's fault. Like it's so hard because right. these companies market their foods toward us and want us to buy them. And that sounds great. But then when you look at the labels, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, what is going on right now with this product? And one of the ones that you mentioned was the yogurt, which I think is a common guilty one that you think you're eating a healthy yogurt and it has tons of sugar in it, Right. Yes, 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 exactly. And there's so many things, right? They try to make them taste better. And, you know, as a result, we're having added sugar in foods, which is contributing to increased weight gain. And actually, you want to eat more of that food because your brain sort mm-hmm. of has the, you know, pleasure seeking desire to eat more of that food. Right, exactly. Yeah, they make it highly palatable that, you know, it tastes good and you just want more of it. So it's really hard to um, stop eating once you start eating something. It's like the Pringles thing. You can't eat just one chip or whatever it is. They make it that way on purpose, right? So yeah, we definitely try to help patients understand that it's not their fault. So what are some other ways that you like to discuss? What are some other things that you like to discuss with your patients to help prevent or treat their type two diabetes in the kids? Yes. What I really try to talk to my patients about is that this is not going to be a sudden thing that we can revert, right? So we really want to focus on this prevention of diabetes. That's our first goal. Our second goal is to say, okay, what can we do as a family? We need to have a family-centered approach because if one person is eating something in the family and somebody else can't have it, that's really not going to help. Oftentimes I hear, oh, you know, my brother eats Pringles or chips every day and that's okay, but I'm not allowed to eat it. And oftentimes that's not going to work if you have one person in the family who is not allowed to eat certain food, especially for kids. And so I think moderation is super important, but really having a family-centered approach to say, what are we going to do as a family to help this condition? Can we go to the grocery store together and focus on fruits and vegetables and whole grains? Can we not eat um, out of boredom? So if we're bored, can we pick something to be active, go out for a walk outside or go to the pool or do something fun? So try to focus on lifestyle for kids as well as adults and do things as a family. I think that's very important. And then I screen kids for diabetes. So when they have concerns about their weight, because I think the earlier we can recognize it, the earlier that we can treat and sometimes reverse type two diabetes. And then girls can have irregular cycles and excess Mm -hmm. hair on their face and body. And I think that really needs to be addressed too, because that induces some psychological consequences. But really sometimes this is chronic, that this is something that we really have to take care of for several years. And I think Patients get frustrated. I don't know if you see the same thing, but I feel like patients get frustrated when we don't have a quick fix answer to some of the issues related to diabetes and weight, especially for kids. The good news is that kids actually do pretty well with 
trying to reverse diabetes. So with some exercise changes and diet changes, sometimes they can reverse diabetes. It kind of just depends on how rigorous they want to work at it. But you know, the other answer to that is that sometimes these kids have to work a little bit harder than maybe their friends who don't have that higher risk of diabetes. So I think that's important to understand. Yeah, the family-centered approach is very important. As a family, what sort of things are you going to be bringing into the home? I like the idea of going out to the store and picking things and learning to maybe read labels or choose whole grain and products and whole foods. And then, I mean, also making a meal together, right? Having them help participate in the meal. Not only is it learning how to cook and learning to be healthy, but, you know, just a nice family time as well. So those are great, great, great comments. Yeah. I also really appreciated the teaching kids not to eat out of boredom, like when they're first born and everything, right? They eat because they're hungry and stop when they're full and they kind of lose these signals and cues as they get older and are starting to learn to eat for pleasure or whatever other reason. So I think that's a really good point to do as well. And it's nice to say that, sure, you're going to eat out of boredom. I mean, you to stop eating out of boredom instead choose to do something active, which is doubly better than eating something that you don't need. And then in serving your other ways by getting physical activity. Right. Those are, those are great points you made there. Yeah. And I think parents are often scared when their kids get diagnosed with type two diabetes. And I think it is something that needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed quickly. I think the other piece of that is just making sure that you work with your physician to see what changes you can make And Mm -hmm. if they need medication, even if they need insulin for a short period of time, that's important just for them to be healthy and not to be scared of the medications that are being given for lowering the blood sugars because high blood sugars can lead to long-term complications. So it's important just to know that if medications are needed, they are available and they're safe medications to help with diabetes management. Very good. Yeah. Did you want to get into any of the medications or I think it's similar to the adult medications? What do you guys usually use in kids, I guess? I know there's yeah. new guidelines for weight management, right. but. Yeah. Know. So for diabetes treatment, we use metformin in kids mm-hmm. and we use insulin if their blood sugars are elevated. So that's been the mainstay of therapy okay. for many years as far as diabetes management. If we're talking about some of the weight management, again, you know, there's similar class of medications that are used in adults that we use in kids, the most recent one being Wagovi or semaglutide that was approved for 12 and above. And so Mm -hmm. those are given really on a case-by-case basis. We really want to focus on, again, lifestyle in addition to those medications. But the medications, you know, patients usually come and say, hey, we want some of these medications to prevent diabetes. And we do a deep dive to, to make sure that they're following the guidelines with lifestyle and exercise And we can use some medications as an adjunct to some of those extel treatments to help. But it is a chronic issue. And we really want to have a whole family-centered approach when we talk about some of the use of the medications. So how long do you end up working with like patients on this? Or do you think that they learn everything pretty quickly? Or I know you said like this is, I didn't say it, but a marathon, not a sprint, you know, but how long do you tend to follow them? Well, I mean, my patients with type 2 diabetes, I follow them for years. It's a chronic condition. We follow them over time. If they reverse their diabetes, then we usually have them at least check in with us. Yeah, once a year at least. But usually it's monitoring for life because once you are at risk to develop type 2 diabetes, we really have to pay attention to that and make that a lifelong 
monitoring process. Yeah, my question sounded silly, but I did mean those who you are, are having success, like we kind of quote reverse it. But yeah, so you still follow them throughout their yeah, until they are adult. Yeah, yeah. So if they have success, we usually see them at least once a year. I could see them in conjunction with their pediatrician to make sure that they don't develop diabetes, but really focusing to make sure that they don't, you know, have elevated blood sugars over time. And sometimes I see that when they graduate from the pediatric practice and they go to adults and they go off to college, sometimes we sort of see some of that come back again, as far as their Mm -hmm. signs of elevated blood sugars. So really it's lifelong. And do you have them check their blood sugars? So if they don't have diabetes, I don't have them routinely check blood sugars. Mm -hmm. We usually check a hemoglobin A1C in the office. If they have type two diabetes in particular, I have had them checking their blood sugars a couple times a week, especially if they're on treatment. If they're mm-hmm. on insulin more often, you know, several times a day, depending on how much insulin they're on. So yes, I do have them monitoring their blood sugars if they're on medications, either insulin or metformin. But if they're not on those, then I don't have them routinely check their blood sugars. I was listening to a recent podcast on continuous glucose monitors. That's kind of where that came from. (laughs) I didn't know if you use them in your, I mean, type two, I'm assuming you use them in type one, but. Yeah, I use them on type two patients who are on insulin therapy. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, what else should we talk about for diabetes prevention in children? Yeah, so I think our goal should be to try to focus on what you said is healthy eating, healthy lifestyle. And like you said, you do have to work at it sometimes. It's not Mm going to be easy. And some people have to work on it more than others. And it's not fair. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I always tell my patients. It's not fair that you have to work on it harder than somebody else. Um, Not fair, but you have a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. And so that's what we have to do. And so I think it's really important. It can be controlled and it can be managed. What we want to focus on is trying to prevent diabetes. But the other piece I want to make a note of is to say it's not anyone's fault, really. So oftentimes I hear that like, oh, he's eating all this candy and sugar. And I think it's easy to play the blame game. But I think we shouldn't blame our kids for some of these habits that they developed, kind of trying to readdress and refocus them on why they need to be healthy and why they need to eat certain types of food and why we need to be healthy throughout our lives to prevent chronic disease. So I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. You want to teach them what they need to know to go forward and knowing that it's not their fault, but they need to work at it. I think those are going to be important things because they're probably going to be working at it forever, right? And we all are. We all are. Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So where can everybody find you if they want to work with you? Yeah. So I do, like I said, telemedicine appointments Mm -hmm. for the entire state of Florida. And my website is www.themaraclinic.com. And I'm also on Instagram at Dr. R. Mara, where I put a lot of recipes that my kids actually make over the weekend. So I post recipes that they make and I post some healthy tips. I think, you know, one of my posts was on why you shouldn't drink these sugar beverages with a lot of sugar like juice. And so they can find me there. And I'm on Facebook also at themariclinic.com. So they can find me in those ways. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to us today. And I hope everybody will come back and tune in next week. But if you're looking for a primary care or obesity medicine doctor for more adults, you can find me at www.cfma.health and everything else will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Get Healthy Tampa Bay podcast sponsored by Clearwater Family Medicine and Allergy. 
Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with your family and friends. We would also love it if you took the time to rate and review us on iTunes. See you next week.